order questions to the Prime Minister. Caroline Lucas. Thank you. Number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker, and I'm sure that the whole House would like to join me in wishing people across the United Kingdom and indeed the whole world a very happy St Andrew's Day. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Caroline Lucas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I suggest to the Prime Minister that having your cake and eating it isn't a serious strategy for Brexit, <laughs> and that Britain deserves a better... Britain deserves better than having to rely on leaked documents to know the government's plans. How on earth can she expect MPs to vote to trigger Article 50 when she refuses to give any clarity as to what kind of Brexit she's pursuing? Will it involve us still being members of the single market? Is it arrogance or is it incompetence? Prime Minister! I have answered this question many times in this House and I can assure the Honourable Lady she asks specifically about the issue of the single market and trading with the European Union. I've been very clear. We are ambitious in getting the best possible deal for trading with and operating within the single European market. Mark Menzies. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week's uh, autumn statement, the announcement of £556 million for infrastructure in the north of England. Yeah. But despite this and years of hard work, the M55 Lytham St Anne's Link Road is still not assured. Can my honourable friend, the Prime Minister, do everything she can to ensure that this vital local project for jobs and employment in my constituency is, is uh, delivered without further delay? Prime Minister! Can I, can I commend my honourable friend for the. Hard work that I know he has put in in relation to this project. I understand that there is to be a significant sum of uh, funding from a developer, and my honourable friend has been working with the developer and the county council on this particular issue. The LEP um, has submitted a linked bid to Highways England. It's being actively considered, and I understand my honourable friend will be meeting my right honourable friend, the Minister for Transport, this afternoon to discuss this in more detail. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in wishing everyone a very happy St Andrew's Day, wherever they're celebrating it, all around the world? Last week, Mr Speaker, the autumn statement revealed the abject failure of this Government's economic strategy. Economic growth was revised down, wage growth was revised down, business investment was revised down, Borrowing and debt revised up yet again. Surely now the Prime Minister accepts her predecessor's long-term economic plan was actually a failure. Prime Minister! I'll give uh, give the right honourable gentleman some facts. The IMF says that this will be the fastest-growing advanced economy in the world this year. Unemployment is down. We have record numbers of people in employment, and we have we have companies like Nissan, Jaguar, Land Rover, Honda, Arm, Google, Facebook, Apple investing in the UK, securing jobs here in the United Kingdom. That's what a good economic plan does. They did tell us that the deficit would be eradicated by 2015. This was then advanced to 2020, and now it's been advanced to whenever in the future. 
but since she quotes the Institute of Fiscal Studies, I think she's been a little bit selective because they also went on to say that the prospect for workers over the next six years was, and I quote, dreadful, and went on to say, creating, and I quote, the worst decade for living standards since the last war and probably since the 1920s. Isn't it fair to say that those just getting by are suffering all the pain for no gain? Prime Minister! I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, I think given that he can't differentiate between the IMF and the IFS, it's probably a good job he's sitting there and I'm standing here. tell him what we are doing for those people and let's think about those people who do find life difficult, who are struggling to uh, get by, who have a job but worry about their job security, who uh, have a home but worry about paying the mortgage and are worried about their children's education and whether their children will be able to buy a home. What are the measures we've been doing? We've increased the national living wage. We introduced the national living wage. We're increasing, we're increasing personal tax allowance, taking more people out of paying tax altogether. We're increasing the number of affordable homes being, uh, being built. But we can only do this if we have a strong economy. And it's our plan that delivers that strong economy. Mr Speaker, wages have stagnated, home ownership is falling, homelessness has doubled and queues at food banks are rising every day. If the Prime Minister really believes the economy is doing well, why is her government forcing through £2 billion of cuts in in in-work support, cutting the incomes of working people, leaving many households over £2,000 per year worse off? Prime Minister! He starts his question by talking about home ownership. Let's be very clear what's happening in terms of housing. House building starts fell by 45% under Labour in 12 years. They have increased by over two-thirds since the Conservatives were in government. Uh, Yes, we are making changes to the welfare system. He and I have a fundamental difference of opinion about the welfare system. I think what is important in the welfare system is that we remember those who are benefiting from it and we remember those who are paying for it. The universal credit system is there to ensure that people, uh, that work will always pay for people. I don't. I believe in a welfare system that does help people to get into work, that does encourage people into the workplace. He believes in a welfare system where people are able to live on benefits. Speaker, the last Labour government took 800,000 children out of poverty. Under her government, child poverty is rising and now covers 4 million children across this country. Our people are suffering because of the policies of her government. People are paying the price for her failed economic experiment. They've even now abandoned the previous Chancellor's pledge for their so-called national living wage, paying at least £9 per hour by 2020. What is the new pledge on living wage? Prime Minister. <laughs> the pledge on living wage is set out in the autumn statement and is as it always has been. But he talks about he talks about poverty. He talks about 
he talks about poverty, actually we are seeing fewer families in absolute poverty and fewer families in relative poverty. And I come back to the point I've been making in answer to his previous questions. It is only possible to do these things by having a strong economy. The one thing, the one thing we know the one thing we know is that the policy that would not deliver a strong economy is Labour's policy to increase borrowing by five hundred billion pounds. Increase borrowing by five hundred billion pounds. He talks about the impact of people in work. Let me remind him what the former Shadow, uh, shadow uh, Treasury Minister said. Labour's policy to increase borrowing would lead to double the income tax, double council tax, double VAT and double national insurance. That won't help anybody who's in the workplace and just about managing. Entirely sure where the government's credibility lies on borrowing. Since they're borrowing even more, the deficit is increasing and people are suffering. When she talks about uh, the when she talks about children in poverty in response to my question, I simply remind her, four million children living in poverty, children going hungry to school in this country because their parents don't have enough money to feed them properly. It is a disgrace and should be addressed. Mr Speaker, in the autumn statement last week, the Chancellor spoke for over 50 minutes. During that time, he didn't once mention the National Health Service or social care. 1.2 million people are lacking the care they need. Why was there not one single penny more for social care in the autumn statement? Prime Minister! There is absolutely no doubt that the social care system is under pressure. We recognise that. There are, if you just look, just look at the fact that there are one million more people of over, aged over 65 today than there were in 2010. We see the sort of pressures on the social care system. But that's why the government has already acted to put more money into the social care system. More money through the Better Care Fund, 3.5 billion extra through the Better Care Fund, and more money through the social care precept. But it's also important that local authorities and uh, the uh, NHS work together to ensure, for example, that people have the social care they need so they're not ending up blocking beds in hospital. There's some very good practice up and down the country and sadly there's some not so good practice. What we need to do is make sure everybody is giving the best possible service to people who need it. Jeremy Corbyn. There's a tragic parallel going on between an underfunded NHS and an underfunded social care system all over the country. And she knows it and indeed she might care to listen to the Tory leader of Warwickshire Council, Izzy Seagull who says that her council has been cut to the bone and says on social care right now we have a 1.3 billion gap which is not being funded. It is a real crisis in every social services department all over the country and indeed in almost every NHS hospital. Next year, Mr Speaker, this government is handing back £605 million in corporation tax cuts, rising to £1.6 billion the year after that, and £7.5 billion over the next five years. So could the Prime Minister explain to the more than one million elderly people not getting the care they need, to the four million on NHS waiting lists, 
to the millions of pensioners worried about losing the protection of the triple lock, why there is not one penny extra for the NHS or social care. Just what is this government's real sense of priorities? Prime Minister. The right honourable gentleman talks about funding social care and funding the National Health Service. £3.8 billion extra is going into the National Health Service this year. Under Labour's plans, under Labour's plans, we would have seen £1.3 billion less going into the National Health Service. Social care funding is going up under this government. At the last election, the Shadow Chancellor, lately of strictly fame, said local authorities would get not a penny more. Conservatives putting money into the NHS and social care, Labour would deny it. Thank you, Thank you Mr Speaker. On a cross-party basis, Jo Cox and I were establishing the National Commission on Loneliness when she was brutally murdered. This work is now being continued by the Honourable Lady, the Member for Leeds West and me. Does my right honourable friend agree that loneliness is an issue for all our communities? And will she urge her ministers to engage with the Commission as it carries out its work and reports next year? Prime Minister. Well, first of all, can I just say that I'm sure the whole House would want to join me in commending Joe's family for the very dignified way in which they dealt uh, with matters as the court case was going through. It must have been very harrowing for them. Uh, I'm very pleased that my honourable friend and the honourable member for Leeds West are taking forward the work of that Commission on Loneliness. Earlier this week I was able to support the Good Morning Britain uh, One Million Minutes campaign, which is encouraging individuals to give 30 minutes of their time to help to, to uh, be with somebody who, would be, who is lonely. We've, uh, over the years, I think, failed to understand the impact that loneliness has on people's psychological health, but also their physical health as well. And ministers will look forward to receiving the results of the Commission and to uh, working with my honourable friend and others. Mr Robertson. Thank you, you, Mr Speaker. A very happy St Andrew's Day to everybody celebrating in Scotland and around the world. (laughs) Mr Speaker, there is... Mr Speaker, there is literally nothing to celebrate about the humanitarian catastrophe befalling the people of Syria at this time. The situation in the besieged city of Aleppo is described as being so bad that it could be one of the biggest massacres of civilian population since World War II. What can the UK and the international community do to end the suffering of the people of Syria? The the right honourable gentleman is right to draw attention to the appalling situation that is taking place in Syria and particularly the indiscriminate attacks that we see on civilians in Aleppo. Um, The United Kingdom has been working with France uh, to bring forward an emergency discussion on this issue at the UN Security Council. That will take place later today. We want to see a cessation of hostilities. We want to see an an opportunity for aid, humanitarian aid, to have access to Aleppo uh, and we will be pressing for that at the Security Council. Angus Robertson. The Speaker is extremely welcome that the discussions are taking place in the United Nations and we wish success to all of those who are supporting a humanitarian solution to the crisis there. However, things are so bad that the agencies are saying that in Aleppo the situation is so bad that it is descending into hell. 
Time is absolutely of the essence. I know the Prime Minister is seized of this matter. We are in agreement. Please can I appeal to her. Can absolutely everything be done now to alleviate the situation of the poor people of Aleppo and of Syria? Well, uh, the right honourable gentleman is right about the horrific situation that exists in Aleppo. I can assure him that the government is pressing hard, is doing everything that we can in relation to this. We have consistently looked at what might be you know, the possible solutions to see if there are other avenues that we can press for. I think the Security Council debate is very important. And there's an important message to send to Russia that they actually use their influence with the Assad regime to stop this, these appalling atrocities in Aleppo and let humanitarian aid through. Fiona Bruce. Comments this week by the Equalities Commissioner not to be worried about talking about Christmas at work were important. Im- important because many Christians are now worried, even fearful, about mentioning their faith in public. So would the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the recent Lawyers Christian Fellowship publication Speak Up which confirms that in our country today the legal rights of freedom of religion and freedom of speech to speak about one's faith responsibly, respectfully and without fear are as strong today as ever. My Honourable Friend raises an important issue which matters to both her and uh, and me. And I think that the phrase that was used by the Lawyers Christian Fellowship was the jealously guarded principle of that ability to speak freely, uh, as she says respectfully and responsibly about one's religion. I'm happy to welcome the publication of this report and its findings. Of course, we're now into the season of of Advent, and we have a very strong (laughs) tradition in this country of religious tolerance and freedom of speech, and our Christian heritage is something we can all be proud of. And um, I'm sure we would all want to ensure that people at work do feel able to speak about their faith uh, and uh, and also feel able to speak quite freely about Christmas. Chris Bryant. Thirty years ago, I conducted my first funeral as a young curate, and, and the, it was for a young teenager, a young teenage boy, who was an enormous fan of Paul Simon. So as the crematorium curtains closed, we listened to the sound of silence, and many people cried. The average cost of a child's funeral today is £3,675. Some councils don't charge anything, some do charge a lot. And the Social Fund is means-tested, so will the Prime Minister, I ask again, please listen to the words of my honourable friend for Swansea East, sign up to her campaign and put an end to both the means-testing and the postcode lottery so that no parents, when they lose a child, have to have the fear of hardship as well as the grief. Prime Minister. The Honourable Gentleman raises a very important point, and I know that the Honourable Member for Swansea spoke very movingly in the debate that she called on this issue, and spoke from personal experience. And I'm sure that uh, I don't think anybody who, who hasn't been through the death of a child can possibly understand the pain that that brings, not just immediately, but actually thereafter as they see others grow up and their child not growing up. I recognise the issue that the Honourable Gentleman has uh, raised about children's, uh, the cost of children's funerals. There are, uh, as he himself has said, there are measures in place for those uh, uh, particular families who have particularly hardship cases that can, can where money can be given. And it is open to local authorities to waive fees. Some local authorities do this. We have left this to a decision for local authorities, and some do indeed waive those fees. Kelly Tolhurst. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Um, grammar schools across the Medway towns have provided good education and opportunities for hard-working young people from a range of backgrounds, helping social mobility and intervening to improve recent Ofsted results in local primary schools, particularly in Rochester and Strood. Does my right honourable friend agree that our current grammar school a school's contribution to education ought to be valued and given every support as part of the educational mix up and down the country to help children achieve their full potential. Yeah. Well, I agree with my honourable friend. I believe the figure is that there are now uh, nearly 11,000 more children in good and outstanding schools in my, in, in my honourable friend's area than there were in 2010. We want to provide a good school place for every child. She references the good work being done by grammar schools in her, her area to improve the quality of education in primary schools. It's exactly one of the issues we're looking for, through at in our uh, uh, consultation that we're doing on education. We want to remove the legal ban on expanding or opening new grammar schools, but we also want to see grammar schools working to improve standards across the education system generally. Margaret Greenwood. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The SDP for Cheshire and Merseyside aims to develop accountable care organisations. This is a model from America where they're used to deliver private, insurance-based healthcare. Can the Prime Minister assure me that they won't be used as a means to introduce insurance-based private healthcare into the NHS? What the STPs are about is about people have in a local area determining the shape of health services in that local area in terms of delivering the best service for uh, local people. That's what those are about. Uh, obviously, every area will be looking very closely at the plans that are being put, brought forward. What is important, I think, is that we do see in those STPs increasingly uh, health services working with local authorities to ensure that they are providing the right holistic level of care for people in their area. Claire Perry. leads us towards a smart and smooth Brexit, as I like to call it a smexit, I am sure that she shares my view that the flexibility of Britain's labour market is one of this country's great strengths. However, she will be aware that the growth of new business models as part of the so-called gigapon economy is causing real concern that employment rights could be eroded. And indeed, the news that Uber is seeking a licence to operate in my constituency has left local people concerned about what their jobs could look like in the future. What reassurances can the Prime Minister give to me and my constituents that the Government is working to make sure employment rights and employment regulations will keep pace with this sort of innovation? As I, as I mentioned earlier, we have seen a significant rise in the number of people in employment in this country, uh, and that's because we've got the strong economy we have. But I recognise that employment and types of employment are changing. Uh, technology is, is uh, the driver in many of those cases. That's why I've asked the Chief Executive of uh, the RSA, Matthew Taylor, to do a report, uh, a review of modern employment practices, so we can ensure that the legislative framework is absolutely the right one as we go ahead uh, for the economy of the future and the jobs of the future. And I think this shows that actually it is now the Conservative Party that is the party of working people. Stephen Timms! Mr Timms! Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Conservative Election Manifesto promised to halve the disability employment gap by 2020. 
Ministers justified their plan to cut the benefit from next April by promising to recycle some of the savings into improving employment support for benefit claimants. It's now become apparent that funding for employment support is not being increased, it's being cut. The target date for halving that gap 2020 has been completely abandoned. Surely the only honourable course now is for the government to abandon the benefit cut as well. Prime Minister. I'm pleased to say that over the last three years, nearly 600,000 more disabled people have got into the workplace. I think that's very important. Of course, we want to ensure that all those disabled people who are able to get into work are given the support needed to do that. That is why uh, uh, we have been ensuring not just that this is about benefits, but also it's about the support package in total that people are given. They do have individual support through the personal independence payment for the particular long-term costs that they have uh, uh, in by their disability, but also it's the support package that is provided to people on the, the work group in ESA that enables them to get into work. More than si- nearly 600,000 people, more disabled people in work. That is something the honourable, right honourable gentleman should be celebrating. Peter Lilly. Yeah, yeah. I welcome my right honourable friend's uh, eagerness to give EU citizens living and working lawfully in this country the assurance that they'll be able to remain here after Brexit and to obtain similar reassurances for British citizens living and working in the EU. Does she therefore share my disappointment that Mr Juncker, in response to a letter from 80 members of this House uh, to resolve this issue speedily, has intransigently put EU processes ahead of common humanity? Well, I can assure my right honourable friend, as I've said earlier, that I would, had hope, would hope that this is an issue that we can look at at an early stage of the negotiations. Of course, there will be two years of the negotiations. Uh, I think it is right that we want to give reassurance to British citizens living in the EU and to EU citizens living here in the UK. Uh, but I think the reaction that we've seen shows why it was absolutely right for us not to do what the Labour Party wanted us to do, which was simply to give away the uh, guarantee for rights of EU citizens citizens here in the UK, because as we've seen, that would have left UK citizens in Europe high and dry. Stephen Hepburn. I know the Prime Minister has handed happy briefs to read out, but can I tell her she's been wrong on the National Health Service for weeks now. If she came to South Tyneside Hospital, she would see services closing. She would see patients worried. She would see staff demoralised. So when is she going to get a grip of those bean counters who are committing criminal damage to the people's cherished service in her name? Prime Minister. There are nearly 30 more doctors and over 950 more nurses in the South Tyneside NHS Foundation Trust compared to 2010. This year, the South Tyneside Clinical Commissioning Group will be getting an increase of funding. Uh, And the uh, health funding in the right honourable gentleman's area is going to be this year £2.7 billion, and that will be increasing by 2020-21. It is this government that is putting more money into the National Health Service. It is the Labour Party, it's a former shadow health secretary on Labour Party, who said that more money for the NHS was irresponsible. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Warwick and Leamington contains many of the elements of a successful industrial strategy. 
Great schools, skilled workforce, strong infrastructure, manufacturing, creative industries, and being surrounded by world-class R&D facilities, to name but a few. Would the Prime Minister outline the Government's progress in developing this policy that is so important to our nation's prosperity? Minister! My honourable friend is absolutely right. Uh, what he says about uh, his own constituency and the Midlands engine in relation to the development of jobs and uh, uh, for the strong economy of the future. That's why we will be developing the industrial strategy for the whole of the United Kingdom. That is an important part of uh, the government's plan for the future. That is looking at issues like infrastructure, like skills, ensuring that we can build on the best and encourage the growth that we need for the economy of the future. And the Midlands engine and my, uh, the part of the country that my honourable friend represents will be an important part of that growth for the future. Guests from the Hyderabad Diocese have twice been refused visas to visit the Church of Scotland Presbytery of Glasgow in a twinning initiative, with the suggestion the visit was not genuine despite correct paperwork and the church bearing costs. When I raised this with the Leader of the House, he spoke about a need for people to return home after visits. Then the Immigration Minister told me in a patronising letter how to apply for a visa. Can the Prime Minister tell the Church why their visitors are not welcome and what messages she thinks this sends to our faith communities? Well, uh, I say to the Honourable Lady that we have a very clear visa system. Uh, decisions are taken according to the rules in that visa system. But as she will have seen, as she will have seen, the Home Secretary has heard the comments that she makes, and I suggest if she sends the details into the Home Secretary, the Home Secretary will look at that case. Suella Fernandez. Once the will of the British people and indeed the residents of Fareham is delivered to break free from the shackles of the European Union. My right honourable friend agree that Britain stands to benefit from the fantastic opportunity to forge new trade deals with countries like India and the USA? And will she meet with members of the Legatum Institute's Special Trade Commission and me, who projected a 50% increase in global world product in 15 years as a result of Brexit, enabling trade to really boost jobs, growth and hope? Well, I'm, I'm interested in the results of the Nugatum uh, uh, Institute's commission on this particular issue. I believe absolutely that free trade is the right way to go, that it is through free trade that we increase growth and that we increase prosperity. That's why I've said I want this country to be a global leader on free trade, uh, and it's why we will be looking to forge those new trade deals with other countries around the world as we leave the European Union. But not just that, we will be looking to see how we can improve trade with other countries before we leave the European Union. Uh, continuing to strengthen our economy, and I'm sure the Secretary of State for International Trade will be happy to meet with her and to discuss the results of the Commission's report. Order. In warmly welcoming the Honourable Member for Blythe Valley back to his place, I call Mr Ronnie Campbell. Well, thank you, Mr Speaker. I'll be able to tell you better next week when I meet my consultant. <laughs> Can I ask the Prime Minister what plans she has to make super economic zones and I say that in the, in the knowledge of knowing that the Blythe Estuary was given an economic zone by the last Chancellor, the Tory Chancellor, uh, as we have acres and acres of land on that yeah. river, and I hope that it's in our mind. Yeah. yeah. Prime Minister. Can I, can I join the Speaker and others in welcoming the Honourable Gentleman to his place? It's good to see him back in his usual position, and I wish him all the very best. 
Uh, can I say that uh, as part of our industrial strategy, of course, we're looking around the country to make sure that we can see where there are opportunities for economic growth and uh, how we can encourage, encourage those opportunities to be taken up. Uh, and what is important is that I want to see economic growth and prosperity uh, being spread across the whole country so that we do see an economy that works for everyone. Stuart Andrew. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The digital and creative industry is an important part of the UK economy and uh, leads as an important hub in this sector. In welcoming the billion pound investment into better broadband in the autumn statement, can I urge my right honourable friend to ensure that Yorkshire gets its fair share so that we can build on this success and make Leeds the capital of this industry? Prime Minister. I assure my honourable friend that I recognise the role that is played by the creative and digital industries in our economy, and I also recognise the excellent example of, of uh, the vibrance that those can bring to the economy, uh, as he says, that takes place in Leeds. I am pleased that we are able to invest a further £1 billion in gold-stranded broadband. That will bring better connections to 2 million more homes and businesses, and I can assure him that I'm sure that Yorkshire will have a very central role to play in this. David Lammy. Yesterday, the Prime Minister's Government published a green paper on corporate governance, emphasising the importance of gender and uh, race diversity, and I congratulate her for that. But why then has her Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport blocked the appointment of a black woman to the Channel 4 board? Does she think there isn't a woman or a black person in the country worthy of being on the board of Channel 4? Prime Minister! I, well, I, I'm... Thank the uh, honourable gentleman for the welcome that he has given to the corporate governance paper that we have produced, which of course covers a great deal more than simply issues of gender and diversity in uh, corporate governance and on corporate boards. Uh, I'm not aware of the particular uh, uh, case that he has referred. All I would do is say this to him, that in looking at public appointments, a very careful process is undertaken to ensure that people who are appointed have the skill set and the requirements needed to play the role that is being required. I will look into the issue that he has raised, but I have to say to him that this is always a question of the right person for the job. And issues around issues issues around the sort of question that he has raised don't come into it. It's about who is right for the job. Mr Michael Tomlinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Donald Tusk's response to my letter on reciprocal rights has already been mentioned. Can I congratulate the Prime Minister on her work with individual member states in this important matter? But does she share our disappointment? And will she join me in calling for this important matter to be raised in two weeks' time at the next European Council meeting? Prime Minister. I say to my friend, I recognise the concern that he has and that other members of the House have on this particular issue of the rights of EU citizens and UK citizens, uh, variously living here in the UK and in uh, the uh, other member states of the European Union. I hope this is something that we will be able to address at an early stage. Uh, uh, but of course, the negotiations, we haven't yet triggered Article 50, the negotiations will uh, have up to two years to, uh, to run as the Lisbon Treaty sets out. Uh, and as I say, I hope that we'll be able to address this at an early stage to give people the reassurance that they need. Niece Julie, believed to be unlawfully killed in Alat, Israel. 
A year ago, her predecessor was good enough to give me support, as was the FCO. But after a year of writing letters, meetings and putting pressure on the Israeli authorities, the family are no closer to having justice for Julie. Will she meet with me and my constituent to understand what further pressure can be put on so that the family can get answers and understand who brought this terrible crime against their family member? Yeah. Well, I, I understand the concern both that the uh, honourable member rightly shows for her constituent and obviously the deep concern that her constituent has to find out what happened in this terrible tragedy. My, I understand that the Minister at the Foreign Office is work, actively working on this question and of course I think we'll, I will ask him to respond to the Honourable Lady uh, and to meet with her to discuss what more can be done and to set out exactly what the Foreign Office is doing in this, on this issue. Order.